0: John chapter 4, that should be up there, 43 through 54, uh, the last number should be 54, so it's the rest of the chapter, They don't want you to think we're going slower again, and only doing three verses, now we're going to do the rest of the chapter, I've entitled this message, The Second Miracle, Evidence of Faith, and we will see how that applies to our study This morning, Jesus has been now in the city of Shechem in the land of Samaria, the very center of the land of Israel, but a a portion of the land that divides the people of Israel from the south to the north. And it was a section of land that was inhabited by people who were called the Samaritans, who were part Jewish, but had many, many years before uh, been mixed with other cultures, and therefore to the pure Jew, this was a, uh, this was a land of, of uh, uh, people that worshipped, in a sense, a different way, and a in in many cases a different God. They called them half-breeds. And they wouldn't go through Samaria. Most Jews that wanted to go from the south to the north would travel all the way around probably twice as long to get to the north or twice as long to get to the south. But Jesus told us that he must needs go into Samaria. It was a necessity for Jesus to go to Samaria not, not just for the Samaritan people, but actually for his disciples as well as for us. For us to understand the mission that Jesus came to fulfill. That of revealing himself as the Messiah. As the Savior of the world. As the anointed one of God. So, in the time of, uh, that he was there in Samaria, it was actually two days that we were told in our last... Study and we want to pick up just from there, reading the scriptures and then we'll get into our study. Verse 43 says, Now after two days he departed thence and he went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. That would be the feast of Passover, which we saw mentioned earlier in the Gospel of John. For they also went unto the feast. So we're following Jesus now on his journey from the southern region of Judea towards the northern region of Galilee. And we have seen how Jesus, as I've previously mentioned, went out of his way to meet with a person most Jewish people would avoid. That would be a Samaritan woman. And the results of that meeting were wonderfully significant in terms of declaring the gospel of jesus christ by jesus christ himself in other words he declared himself to them and they heard him clearly from you know by listening to what he had to say that it changed their lives to the point of recognizing who jesus was and that's important for our study and i'll just hold on to that thought for just a moment but those two eventful days in Shechem of Samaria were now over and Jesus continued on his way more than likely through the rest of Samaria, not going th- the detour, but just going on through Samaria to the region of Galilee. And along the way he quoted a proverb, a maxim or an adage thats familiar that was familiar to his disciples and as we read earlier, a prophet has no honor in his own country. A prophet has no honor in his own country. Now we learn from the three synoptic Gospels, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus had quoted this proverb again on another occasion in connection with his hometown of Nazareth. Now there's an account that is found in all three Gospels where Jesus goes to Nazareth, and he enters into the synagogue. And there we are told that Jesus began to preach and to teach in the synagogue of his own hometown of Nazareth. And this is the people's response. If you look at it in Mark chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. This is their response to him going and sitting and teaching and preaching. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They didn't listen to a thing that he said, but they were offended that he went in there and preached to them the gospel or the word of God. And notice what Jesus said. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. In effect, what Jesus said is, A prophet has honor except in his own country with his own family and even in his own house and he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them was the problem with Jesus was the problem with, with Jesus not having the power to heal people no what was the problem the problem was a lack of faith they didn't trust him they, they were too familiar with him isn't this a carpenter's son? That's all he ever thought. We saw him grow up around us. What would he amount to? So, how true then was this saying of Jesus? How true was the saying that a prophet is not honored in his own country? Well, you go back in Scripture and we're told in the book of Genesis that Joseph was not honored by his brothers. We're told in the book of 1 Samuel that David was not honored by his brother Eliab. We're told in the, book of, in the book of Jeremiah that Jeremiah the prophet himself was not even honored by his own hometown in Anathoth. And Paul was not honored by his own countrymen. <laughs> that in the New Testament. So with that in mind, what makes modern Christians think that they will be honored by their own countrymen? What makes any of us think that just because we are Christians in a Christian nation, quote-unquote, because a long time ago we used to say, this was a Christian nation. But thanks to our president now, back when he started in in his term of office, he said, we're not a Christian nation anymore. And how sad that is. That more and more, that tide that I spoke of when we prayed for our teachers today, that tide of, and that wave of animosity and, and hatred toward God and Christ is coming out more and more in public society and public culture. What makes us think that we will be honored? Think again also that those suffering tremendous persecution today can only attest to the Lord's statement that he made. Those of our brothers and sisters suffering in other countries today for the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to the very point of having their heads taken off of their bodies. Now, in relation to our text, there are those who believe that Jesus was referring to the whole region of Galilee as being his country. He's on his way to Galilee. We know that Nazareth is in Galilee. So, was he talking about Nazareth? Some people believe that that's all that he was talking about, whereas others actually believe, believe that he was referring to Judea, in particular to Jerusalem, because that's where he was coming from. And if you remember, when he was there in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the wolves that were selling the, the animals and all. For profit, and he says, "Don't make my my father's house a a debt or a house of merchandise." And that certainly began to stir up the hearts against him, because every time he would go back, there were just more and more people who were hostile toward Jesus. So, to some extent, then a case can be made for both. A case can be made for both being his country. Judea was certainly his country. All of Israel was his country. North and south. But it appears from our text that in going to Galilee, Jesus first of all stayed away from his hometown of Nazareth. Could he have been speaking of Nazareth? And in passing saying, we're not stopping there because a prophet is not honored in his own country. He bypassed it, at least as we look at the text in John. And he goes on to a place called Cana where he had been before, where he actually had performed his first miracle, the changing of water into wine. But a question needs to be asked. And the question is this, why did Jesus make that declaration about dishonor here? Why did he make that declaration of dishonor here? Because it seems so out of place. But if we look at the first three verses again, we can see at least two reasons why he mentions that statement a prophet is not honored in his own country look at the ver- verse 43 again now after two days he departed thence. so where was he in Samaria with whom was he he was with those who, was, who received him as Messiah who believed him to be the savior of the world who had honored him two days he departs and he goes to Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country and then when he was come into Galilee the Galileans received him now keep this in mind they received him that's a good thing having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast for they also went unto the feast now first of all the Lord's heart would have been broken over his own hometown if he bypasses it for that very reason then realize this, that he, he, they still were very special to him. The people of Nazareth were special to him. He probably played with some of them as a child. He he grew up with them, certainly. He lived as a friend with them. He even fellowshiped with them, probably even at the synagogue. And so the thought of rejection and hostility toward him was constantly on his mind and his heart. Why? Well, one thing for sure, he was all God, we know that, but he was also all man he was human and he needed to be on our behalf but secondly consider if you will that Jesus had to prepare his disciples Jesus had to prepare his disciples for hostility he had to prepare them for rejection he had to prepare them for persecution you can go all the way back to Cana The first time where he teaches them as to who he is by the thing that he did by changing the water into wine. Not very many people knew what had happened. But they were the very objects of his lesson. They were the very ones he was teaching. Every step that we see going on, even in in Samaria, was to teach his disciples something. And if we are believers in Jesus Christ today, then we're his disciples and we still are learning, aren't we? So this is as much for us as well today. They were to be severely persecuted by their fellow countrymen. Not only while Jesus was on the earth, but even after Jesus ascended into heaven. In fact, even more so, because now they would be being led by the Holy Spirit wherever they were taken. And everywhere where they were taken, they all faced martyrdom. Even John, though John survived his martyrdom to write the book of Revelation, by the way. And so Jesus would repeat that fact time and time again to drive it into their minds and into their hearts. That he wanted them prepared and not caught off guard when persecution came. How many times do we see in scripture? A few times. But listen, when you see it, you understand it. What did Jesus say to his own disciples? He said to them, if they hate me, they will hate you. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. Something to remember. But this brings us now to the evidence of faith. This brings us now to understanding what the evidences of faith are. So I want you to take note of this. That the first evidence that that a person has faith is that they honor Jesus. And again, we we are brought to that understanding that Jesus would say a prophet is not honored in his own country. But those who honor him are showing one of the major evidences of faith. We honor the Lord. What does it mean to honor? Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I guess I will. We respect the Lord. We reverence the Lord. We fear the Lord. And we worship the Lord. All within that particular understanding of honor toward the Lord. Mostly respect. So now, our greatest example in this particular passage, in this chapter, is actually seen in the previous passage. Go back if you will just to verses 41 and 42 because it says and many more believe because of his own word. Who is it talking about? The Samaritans. Notice what happens here. The woman that met Jesus went back into the city and she goes and tells the men of the city. She says, "This man that's at the well, we had a conversation and he knew everything about me." And then she she tells them and actually she asks them Literally this way. She said, this couldn't be the Messiah, could it? Which prompted these men to go to the well. And there is where they would be the harvest that Jesus would bring in for his disciples. And there they met with Jesus. They learned of him. And then they said, stay with us. And in those two days that he was with them, what happened? Many more believed because of his own word, his own testimony, and then it says, and said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying, now we believe, I mean, what you said was good to us, but now we believe a bit more, because we are hearing it from him, he says, for we have heard him ourselves, and know, and I want you to know this, know, this is a deep understanding and knowledge, know that this is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior of the world." We know He's the Savior of the world. That is a confession of faith. That is their honoring Him. The Samaritans honored Him for who He truly was. He was the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And this is in stark contrast, not only to those who would outright reject Him as Messiah, but as we shall see, to those as well who only receive him for what he has witnessed doing in Jerusalem. Verse 45. Let's go back there and just read it real quickly. Verse 45. When he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him. That's not a bad thing. They received him. Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. Now, I'm going to get to that in a moment, but I need to bring up a couple of things first. I know you've probably heard the saying, Familiarity breeds contempt. How many of you have ever heard that? Familiarity breeds contempt. It's not always true, but it is true at times. Familiarity breeds contempt. Well, the Galileans may have received Jesus with a measure of respect in receiving Him because of what they had seen Him do in Jerusalem, but... But not so much with the honor that was due him as Messiah. Time and again in the Gospels, people would would seek after Jesus and follow him for what he did rather than for who he was. In fact, in a couple of in a couple of chapters, in chapter six, where we all are familiar with the story of uh, with the account of the uh, the feeding of the five thousand men after Jesus fed all of these people and 5,000 men means about 12,000 people you know families, wives and kids but he would say to them you're following me because I fed you you're following me because I gave you food does that mean that when the food runs out you'll run away too Now, he didn't say that. That's just, that's first Charlie there. But it's something to think about. Because at the end of chapter 6, many people do leave him. And they walk away from him. Even after all the things that he did. Folks, it's not about being familiar with Jesus. It's not about knowing who or what about him or or, or knowing only about him it's not only knowing about Jesus it is about knowing him personally it is about having a personal relationship and a personal fellowship with Jesus Christ which we ourselves can have today even without seeing him because we know that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. there I go, getting ahead of myself again. But, but that's the truth. It's not just knowing about him. It is about knowing him personally and knowing who he is and what he is. What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What is He all about? Well, listen. He is the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer. He is the Savior. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of Judah. And I can give you a thousand other things that He is, but that's who He is. And we need to know that about Him. And not just know that about Him, we need to know Him as those things, personally. Now, to be fair to the Galileans, we've got to be fair to them they welcoming and receiving Jesus, as I said earlier, was a good thing. That could also be a second evidence of faith, receiving and welcoming Jesus into your life, as long as you know who He is. As long as you know who He is. What we know about them is that they had heard Him speak, they had seen Him act in accordance to the will of the Father, we know that they were worshiping people because they had gone from the north all the way to the south in obedience to the word of God to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, and they were ready to experiencing uh, they were ready to experience and uh, experience Him again. Though we shall see, as I said, that later on many of them would walk away. And this this thought came to mind last night. I didn't share that with the people here last night, but I also thought about the very fact that when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem a week before his crucifixion, when he entered into the city, everyone was shouting. You know, uh, the, the scriptures from from Psalm 118 or Psalm 18 that, that uh, you know. Uh, Hosanna and the highest blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a few days later, they were saying crucify him. You you see now this dichotomy here. We would hope that the Galileans had, had welcomed him because they knew who he was. But it may be that they just welcomed him because they saw what he did. But no, but the Lord no sooner arrived in, in Cana that He received a request from a man that lived 20 miles away in a place called Capernaum or Capernaum. And we're told in verses 46 and 47 of our text that Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where He made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman. In other words, this man had heard that Jesus was coming to Cana and he got there fast because he was there actually before Jesus. And it says that there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, all we know about this, this man is that he was a nobleman, and it says. The word nobleman there in the Greek is the word basilikos, which literally means a king's man or a, a one that rules under a king, one that is an official, an officer of some sort. And uh, in all probability, he was an officer of Herod Antipas, who was the Tetrarch of Galilee and who was popularly known as the king. As a matter of fact, most of the Herods liked to be called kings, even though they really weren't, you know, kings, Uh, but nonetheless they called him that and so about 20 miles away in the town of Capernaum this man's son was near death and so just think of this man who hears that this Jesus this Yeshua of Nazareth who had made quite an impression to a lot of people in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover is going to Cana and he takes this quick trip I mean well trip I mean it's like he didn't have taxis man I mean they had just to walk but he goes 20 miles which could be a full day's journey and he gets there to say to Jesus listen Jesus I need to bring you back to Capernaum because my son is dying now in that there's a there's a measure of faith here isn't there He knows something about Jesus, but he comes to him and says, I need to take you to Capernaum because my son is near death. And he pleads with Jesus. And we see again this this, this measure of faith being exhibited by this man who doesn't know Jesus other than just what he's heard and you would think, oh man, right away something's going to happen, but what does Jesus do in the next verse? And I'm going to read it to you yet, but in the very next verse, Jesus instantly checks him. He checks him. He challenges, in other words, the ground of this man's faith. He said, wait, 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 Jesus, why are you doing that? This guy he comes, he doesn't even know you, but he trusts that you can go and do something about his near uh, dying son. And Jesus challenges him. But the words were also meant, by the way, the words were also meant by, uh, by the Lord for all of those that were listening. There were a lot of people listening to this man plead with Jesus. At least his disciples were there. But even more people, as as, as the text said, the Galileans had welcomed him. So wherever Jesus was, there was a, a good crowd of people. Jesus says what he says to this man, so that everyone could hear him, because he was saying it to everyone. What did he say? Let's look at it. Verse 48. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now what is significant about this is that in the King James Version you get two forms of you. And I use this purposely. I use King James anyway, but I use it purposely here because we need to understand that in, 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 in the Greek language there are different words for you singular and you plural. Y-O-U is seen in the King James for a singular Person, you. But when ye, y e is used, it is used plural for you. Like I'm speaking to all of you today. Now, if I was just to look at one person, I said, "Now you." See, but but this is you, all of you. So that is an indication that Jesus was speaking to everyone that was in hearing range. And what did he say to them? Except you see signs and wonders you will not believe. He was revealing the hearts of everybody, even his own disciples. Because this was the Jewish mindset. Unless I see, I won't believe. Isn't this what one of his own disciples said before uh, or after the cross? Unless I see the nail prints in his hand, unless I see the the, the, the scar on his side, I, I won't believe. What did Jesus say to Thomas? Blessed are they who believe and not seen. (laughs) That's faith. And so he mentioned signs and wonders and, and signs and wonders underlines the the two chief aspects of miracles. Signs suggest the spiritual aspect of miracles in that they were intended to convey some deeper spiritual truth proving that the one performing them was acting in accordance to the direct authority of God, the wonders themselves were to draw attention to the external aspects of the miracles. In other words, the wonders were to stir and to shake people to the uniqueness of the miracles. In other words, for example, the, the, you know, the lame person that was sitting outside of, the, uh, outside of the, the temple, and Peter, James, and John going by there, and um, in the book of Acts, and and uh, you know he's he's begging alms, and uh, so the disciples say, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and, uh, and and walk. And they pull him up, and every bone in his body that could never do anything to walk or move in, in and of itself, he began to uh, walk and leap and praise God. Okay, the 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 sign was that internal aspect of what happened because that man's life was changed that day. The wonder was that he was working, I mean, walking and leaping and praising God. And everyone saw that and it stirred their hearts that this was indeed something on the outward that happened as, as the miracle itself. So, the point that Jesus was making then by this statement was that a belief that comes through signs and wonders is shallow and it won't last during difficult times. Because he says you only believe if you see. Now it doesn't mean that, that people aren't stirred to faith by miracles. That's that's not what he's saying. But he's saying in this particular case, he's, he's coming to grips in the hearts of those people around him and especially his disciples. That sometimes signs and wonders are just so shallow because all of you feel that same way. Now what do we know? What we know is that our faith has to be built upon Jesus and His Word because His Word is sure, His Word is a solid foundation, and His Word is truth. So we can trust His Word at all times. Our faith is built upon the Word of God and its reliability. None of us is to build our faith simply on experiences but on the Word of God. Israel, folks listen, Israel saw incredible things on Mount Sinai. The rumblings, the earthquakes, the, the, the lightnings, and the, and the thunder, and everything else. And, they, you know what? They also heard the voice of God. Read the book of Exodus. And about 15 chapters later, they're worshiping a golden calf. Que pues What happened there? They heard and experienced, but then they didn't believe. I want you to remember something about faith. This is pertinent to our understanding of this passage here. Paul said in Hebrews 11, 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. You know, it is our desire to please the Lord. So what's going to please Him? That we trust Him. That we trust Him with all of our heart. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them, that diligently... Seek Him. Oh, that we would all today get on our faces before God and say, "Lord, where I have not sought you, I seek you now. <clears throat> I mean, this is the check of our own hearts here today. But he who that comes to God must believe that He is and that he's a rewarder of them, that diligently, diligently. that's the word that sometimes gets lost in, in, in our lives. It gets lost in our lives on a Sunday morning because we hear the Word of God then we could go and get so distracted by everything in the world and we forget what we learned because we're not diligently considering everything that we've seen in His Word. We need to be diligent believers diligent uh, people who, who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength to the extent that we will seek Him that way each and every day of our lives, each and every moment we breathe, knowing that we can only breathe because He gives us the ability to do so. He gives us our every breath. He gives us our every heartbeat. Please, Lord, let our heartbeats keep going today while you're here. And unto the day that He comes. At this point, back with this man and Jesus. It appears that the man became somewhat irritated with Jesus, with this unnecessary discussions on the workings of faith. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, Jesus, I did not want to come here and talk about the philosophical ramifications of trust and faith and belief and dependency. I, 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 I can't even wrap my head around this thing. Man, I, I have a dying child! Have you been that desperate for God's help? Have you ever been that desperate that nothing makes sense other than the fact that you have a burden that only you know that only the Lord can take care of? Think about his words in verse 49. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Come to Capernaum, sir. In essence, he's saying, if you don't come, he dies. I mean, there are some strong salient points here. This this man was, as I said, (laughs) this man was in no position to argue, not even to think through what Jesus had just said. He was a desperate man. And he believed Jesus was the only one who could help him. Here's that measure of faith. He was the only person that could help this man's son. He was insistent and he was determined to secure Jesus' help. I I think to some extent all of us have been desperate that way. Maybe not to that degree, but we've been desperate enough to not be able to hear anything else but what we just need to hear about that particular situation. And I want you to consider two words in this statement here. Two words. The word sir and the word child. Because the word sir in the Greek is the word From kurios, or kyrie, which means Lord and Master. He called Him Lord. This is going deeper now. This is not only someone who kind of knows about Jesus. Now he says Lord and Master. And, and, and the understanding of, of kurios or, or Lord and Master is this, that, that it literally means, you know, to call someone that, is to call someone who has the power to make decisions. The power to make decisions. Kurie or kirie. The power to make a decision. The power to decide. In essence, he says, "Lord, you're making a decision for my child. You don't come; he dies." The second word is "child." It is not the same word that he uses earlier on, which was another different. It was a totally different Greek word that just is a generic word for child. No, he makes it even more more. Uh, Significant because he uses the word paideon. Which means a little, my little child. My little child. Goes even deeper to the, to the relationship of father and child. Hoping to touch the heart of Jesus. He's my little child. And if you don't come, he dies. My little child will be gone. So what is the Lord's response? Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. That's it. Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word, an underlined word here for a reason, because that word is a very important word. For us to understand the word that's been spoken. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and he went his way. Two things, faith and obedience. He hadn't seen. He didn't get a, a call on his iPhone. By one of his servants, sir, your son is okay right now, this very minute. Didn't have an iPhone. He believed without seeing. That measure of faith has just gotten bigger. When Jesus said to the man, in effect, what he said in effect to this man, So you'll understand fully what has been taking place here. He says in effect to this man, You want me to come to Capernaum. Well, I'm not coming. That's what he says. You want me to come to Capernaum? I'm not coming. It's not necessary for me to come. I'll heal him right here and right now. You go home. Your son's alive. And he's healthy. And he's waiting for you. That's what Jesus said. You see, distance is no obstacle for Jesus. And the man we're told believed the word, the word, what, the word that's used here, by the way, is the word logos. How many of you remember logos from our first study in the book of John, the gospel of John? In the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. The Logos is Jesus. Now the word Logos is used at times in the scriptures to speak of the spoken word. The pure, clean, pure, right spoken word. So this man not only believed in the word spoken, but he believed in the word himself. The fact that the man went his way, that he went, in other words, in obedience to the Lord, he went, gives us the the idea of instantaneous faith and action. Instantaneous faith and action, which is instantaneous faith and obedience. He believed immediately and he turned immediately and he headed home to his son. He acted on his faith and this is what he believed he believed the lord's love he believed the lord's compassion he believed the lord's concern he believed that jesus cared for those who had desperate need he believed the lord's knowledge which means he believed that jesus was omniscient which means he's all knowing he believed that jesus knew his son was healed although he was about 20 miles away He believed the Lord's power, which is His omnipotence. He's all-powerful. He believed that because that Jesus had the power to heal His Son, even from that great distance. In this case, both faith and obedience were necessary to receive the promise and the help of Jesus. But we can never separate faith from obedience. Because faith requires that action that we believe. Let me prove that to you in one of the favorite passages of, of believers in the Old Testament. That, that That's Proverbs chapter 3. Most of us here that have read the Proverbs... Through and read them through every day because you know this is God's book on wisdom for us. We should read it every day. As a matter of fact, it's set up in 31 chapters, so that's that means we could read the Proverbs and you know every month and, and complete it 12 times in a year if we wanted to because that's God's wisdom for us. But if we read the Book of Proverbs, this this is one of those passages of, that most people know almost by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, it says trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding trust completely and totally in the Lord with all of your heart not half heartedly not some heartedly but whole heartedly and don't lean on your own understanding in other words you either do one or the other you need to trust the Lord our problem today is too, too often we lean too much on our own understanding because we don't trust enough. We oftentimes pray without faith, and when we do that, we can pray, or we can get a lot of people to pray. Oh, I need you to pray for this and pray for this, and, but we're but we're sitting around thinking, "It might not, uh, yeah, uh, it might not happen." There are some people that have said, you know, that Christians, Christians are theoretically sometimes, you know, we're theoretical atheists. I know you don't like that, but I mean, that's the way it is sometimes. We say we believe, but then we, you know, something happens, we go, oh my God, I can't believe it. What are you saying that for? I thought you trusted. You see how our words, sometimes they... (laughs) Sometimes our words betray us. Don't lean on your own understanding. I mean, listen, if we trust the Lord, He may do things in a totally weird, wacky way to some people, but you know, to Him, He's doing it because He knows how to do it best. Whatever it is that He does. Look at the next verse. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. In all your ways. You know that in some ways, we, we, we live, you know, part-time Christian. Part-time we go to church, the other time we go for ourselves, you know. Sometimes we acknowledge Him, and other times we acknowledge ourselves more. But, in all your ways, whatever it is that you do, acknowledge Him and He's going to direct your path. Because if you don't do it, then He's going to say, well, I guess obviously you have paths of your own that you want to take. And okay, ¿qué pasa? Let's see what happens. And then later on we come back to the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Yeah, What do we say? The good thing is God is, forgive, is forgiving. And He's gracious. But, God, but guys, we need to get ourselves right with, with the Lord in this. We need to acknowledge Him in everything. I mean, we can't even take a breath without Him giving it to us. Think about that. And then in verse 7 it says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I like to always put in there, Be not wise guys in thine own eyes. Because sometimes we're wise guys. We think we know it all. We don't know anything. We don't. We don't know anything. I mean, yeah, we know something if we let God teach it to us. But if He teaches it to us, it humbles us. It shouldn't puff us up. Be not wise in thine own eyes. But here is the solution. And it brings us back to faith. And it brings us back to honor. Fear the Lord. Honor the Lord. Respect the Lord. Reverence the Lord. Worship the Lord. Fearfully. And wonderfully. And depart from evil. One reason why we try to act in you know, wise in our own eyes, is already saying we don't trust the Lord. That's evil. That's evil. So depart from evil and trust the Lord. Quit making your own plans, in other words. Because when you trust the Lord, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Oh, we could spend a, a little bit of time on that because it's getting but it's getting close to lunchtime and you know marrow, you know the ah, oh, you know. The fact of the matter is, you know marrow is, is is actually that which belongs to the Lord. All the fat in the scriptures, the, the in the sacrifices and all, all the fat belongs to the Lord. That's the best part. What he's saying is, he's giving us his best when we trust him and when we surrender to him completely everything. And then he says in verse nine, honor. Lord but don't just honor him with words honor him with your substance with everything that you have because remember this whatever it is that we have we only have because he's given it to us it's really not ours it belongs to him anyway so honor the Lord with all thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine It takes that perspective of dying to self and trusting wholeheartedly in the Lord that brings us to a greater understanding of the faith that this man had in Jesus when Jesus said, Go thy way, thy son liveth. Now, he had no confirmation Until the next portion of the passage. Because notice the last few verses of this chapter. And as he was now going down. In other words. He was going down from Cana to Capernaum. His servants met him. And told him saying. Thy son liveth. And then inquired he of them. When he began to amend. In other words. When did my son start getting better? And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Now that's an interesting picture. Because when did he, when did he believe when he was with Jesus and he didn't know what was happening in Capernaum? The whole house believed when they saw the sun rising up out of his deathbed. That's confirmation. And it's interesting to me that the man's servants came to meet him on his way home. Now, by the way, where that, that phrase there in verse, uh, uh, verse 51, as he was going down back to Capernaum, the, the uh, language suggests that he was going back to Capernaum just nice and easy. He wasn't running home. He wasn't wondering. He wasn't anxious. He was just going home. And he was joyful because he trusted the Lord. And, and that's when his, his servants come to meet him. So he wasn't, you know, he, he was at peace. He trusted Jesus. He hadn't seen his son yet, but he trusted Jesus. And what's interesting to me is that the the man's servants came to meet him on his way home and while comparing notes, the man heard the same, very same words that Jesus used from, he heard it from the mouth of his own servants. Thy son liveth. The same words. That was confirmation enough, don't you think? The very moment that Jesus spoke His words to the Father was the very moment that the child's fever broke, the very moment that life came back into His little body, and the very moment that life began to beat again in the Father's heart. All was well now. All was well. And it would be well for His household It would be well for his household as well (laughs) as he would give testimony of the power of Jesus Christ. Now in closing the account of the miracle, John calls it the second miracle that Jesus did. It It wasn't of course the second miracle that the Lord performed. But it was the second of John's selected signs here in the Gospel of John. And like the first one was performed in Galilee in Cana. The reason I can say that is because John himself at the very end of his gospel says, you know, if if we could write everything down that Jesus ever did, it would take volumes, just volumes to, you know, to write everything down. But John selected seven I am statements of Jesus. Jesus said I am many, many times. But he, he selected seven I am statements of great significance in the gospel and seven miracles. And this was the second. Though Jesus did many miracles before after. But I want to leave you with a question as we prepare to leave today. And the question is this. Where is your faith today? Where is your faith today? Does it still need signs and wonders for you to believe? I hope not. I hope the lesson that we may have learned a long time ago when we studied about Thomas seeing the risen Jesus in in that room would be enough for us to <clears throat> to understand that uh, you know that we don't need signs and wonders. Thomas said unless I see his hands unless I see the scars unless I see the nail prints. Jesus said to him Thomas you believe because you've seen blessed are they who have believed and have not seen. Thomas would come to realize the importance of trusting the Lord with all of his heart. We need to trust the Lord with all of our hearts. We need to trust Him. We need to trust His Word. We need to, we need to let God speak to our hearts as we read His Word. And we should just not read it just, you know, casually. We, read, we really need to read it in faith. And we need to read it with great devotion and even diligently read the Word of God and study the Word of God. And it's a beautiful place for us to be. No matter what we're going through, it is a beautiful place to be where we can hear and obey His voice. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, once said this. He said, A little faith will bring your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Great faith. May we grow in our faith, in the Lord and in His Word, and see what He will do. I, I mean, we should, as Christians, we should have, every day, we should have great expectations of what God can do in our lives. Sometimes, sometimes and too often, we, we live lives kind of kind of like saying, Oh Lord, I just don't need another thing happen today. <laughs> You know, we just, oh, my Lord, just make this day go by nice and easy, nice and simple, you know, so that, you know. Instead, we should say, Lord, do great things because you're a great God, whatever it may be. And even if it means that I have to go through some kind of trial or some kind of situation, Lord, you're still God and you're still great and you will bring about your will through these things. So I trust in you to do whatever you want to do today. No matter what it would be, can we trust the Lord that way today? And that the Lord would use you, that the Lord would use you and and be you, you know, that he will, uh, that you will trust him to not only uh, uh, do things for you, but through you. Trust him in those things as well. I want to leave you with Hebrews 11. I I should have told you to keep your finger there when we were back in verse six. But but listen, uh, think i already read that now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen hebrews 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen you see the evidence for faith in the man that came to jesus when jesus said go your way your son liveth and he went that was this verse the evidence of things not seen that's faith. He hadn't seen it. He had just heard Jesus say it. And he believed it. And he went. That's faith. But then Paul goes on to say, For by it, which is faith, by it the elders obtained a good report. Their trust in the Lord is given to us as great witness and testimony of their lives, the older believers in God. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do Appear By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Even though Abel was killed by Cain, nonetheless his life of faith continues to speak today. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony, that he please God and this is that that jumping board or the diving board into the next phrase which says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must, must, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seeks him. Must believe. That he is. That he is God. That he is the I am that I am. The I am. The God who is. Who has been and will always be. That's Jesus. That's who we are to trust. May you have that faith today. Leave with that faith today. In Jesus name. Amen. Let's pray. Let's all stand as well. Father, we thank you for your precious word that teaches us so much about your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the privilege that you give us each and every time that we gather, for us to be at your throne of grace, obtaining your mercies and finding grace for help in time of need. Our desire, Lord, today is to leave here with that measure of faith. Not faith in faith, faith in you, trusting in you. For you indeed are the object of our faith. You are the only one that we are to trust, that we can trust, and that we will trust until the day of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for those who are here today that need you or that need to be stirred to that level of faith, the simple level that says, I believe and I will act on that faith. By trusting the Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. So let your spirit come and move upon us this morning. And especially upon those who who need you, Lord, to show yourself strong on their behalf today. In Jesus' name, amen.